0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Leading With Purpose podcast with me, your host, Dr. Ygita Small. I am really excited about this week's episode because we have a special guest. And y'all know how I feel when I have an opportunity to speak to phenomenal women. And the woman that I will be speaking with today is absolutely phenomenal. Her name is Shakia Cherry Donaldson, and I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to pull up my notes. I'm going to read her bio so you all can learn just a little more about her. And I want to make sure that I do not skip a beat. Shakia Cherry Donaldson is the executive director of 1K Women Strong, a national constituency of Black women who are creating a network Of the millions of Black women who are building the beloved community by engaging in civic, community, and electoral campaigns. Prior to establishing 1K Women Strong, she served as the deputy field director statewide for Stacey Abrams for the governor of Georgia during the historic primary in 2016. I had the opportunity to do work with 1K Women Strong not too long ago through a partnership with the ACLU. Um, And being a part, just a small part, because I honestly, it was just a very small part of their campaign that I participated in as it related to student loan forgiveness. And I can't tell you the just awesome, amazing, necessary, critical work that Ms. Donaldson and 1K Women Strong are doing for Black women in the community. And I cannot wait for you all to meet her. So let's get started. Welcome to Leading with Purpose, a podcast for career and entrepreneur women of color on the rise into positions of leadership and influence in their organizations and industries. I'm Dr. Wajita Small, purpose alignment coach and leadership strategist, and I am here to help you create a legacy through purposeful and impactful leadership. Hello again, Shakia. And I, I'm really excited to have this conversation and I'm so glad that you are able to join me today on the podcast. Um, so I did, I did intro you just a little, I read your bio, but I don't find that bios really tell the story of, the people, if you will. So I would like for you to kick off our conversation by telling me
1: your story. For sure. Um, so I'll, I'll, there'll be snippets pulled out the bio, but I, I think I'll elaborate I'll long for you in the audience. So I'm a child of the South Bronx. I've had the opportunity and the and the privilege to travel um, multiple places around the world and do multiple things but I carry um the South Bronx with me because um realistically um I grew up in the poorest congressional district in the country um by a single was raised by a single mother father was addicted to drugs right like this was a story that was played um on the news constantly when I was a child where like this was the setup for failure, right? This was this, these were kids that weren't meant to succeed. And so the fact that I always intro that I come from the South Bronx is I want any kid, no matter where, no matter what I'm doing, that if they hear that and they know that, that they know I'm representing them always. So that is like, Pivotal to I feel like anything I do foundationally is like the South Bronx raised me yeah,
0: then <laughs> the South Bronx raised me too, so yeah,
1: the South Bronx raised me, so thank you um and then I say uh, you know it, it, i am I am humbled to be uh, someone who has had the opportunity, opportunity to do extraordinary things, but I am humbled in that i am I am merely a person. Um, and I think it is a range of, you know, preparedness, <laughs> luck and, you know, faith and opportunity. So uh, I'm grateful for all of it. I'm grateful for, you know, the ability to go to Franklin Marshall, the ability to study it, the University of Sydney to work overseas and like that and to organize. And really, that led me into this work. Um, I, I've been an agitator. Since I was 10 years old, my first uh, picket line was for Amadou Diallo, who, um, when I was nine, was shot 41 times, three blocks away from my house Uh um, by the police, by the New York City Police Department. And um, it was a huge news story, but it was also a very personal news story because it was so close in proximity. Uh and uh, my family just had, like, recently um, experienced a tragedy with my uncle being murdered, not by law enforcement, but in community, being um, being community murdered, and um, this thing, like, in combination to the grief and the trauma, this thing, this outrage, this outcry was just, like, too much for my mm-hmm. grandmother. Like, it was just, like the step too far. She raised money to get him back, like to get him buried. Uh-huh. She, and, and we hit the picket line and it was like extreme. And I, you know, I can't even quantify a new, like, I don't, I don't have the language for everything that was going on around me at the time, but, um, what I did understand was that I knew these people they like the people that we she would call the people that would come to the house these were in community. Mm-hmm. What I recognized is when we went to Bronx uh county courthouse, we were standing for a message in community, and what I mostly understood is that when I then went back to school in the fifth grade and my friends who knew something about the case, because it was a huge news Mm -hmm, story. mm -hmm. I could then in my fifth grade interpretation to my fifth grade friends, then explain what was happening on the front line and get them riled up. Right. Mm -hmm. They understood injustice. So like that was my entryway into this, where it was like, it's about voice, it's about message, it's about community, it's about using your voice, it's about showing up, right? That was agitation, that was activism, and um, and it was early, and I, and it, it was always a part of me, but it was always something that, like, was extra or, like, everybody I knew who did this stuff also had a full-time job, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this was something you did before work, after work or on the weekends. And so I was like, okay. And so that's how I internalized it, right? Like this very Superman, Clark Kent type of thing. Like I'll have my day job and I'll like do whatever I have to do like in this capitalistic system. But at night, they won't know. I'm coming yeah. like to, to battle them. Yeah, And then I got to college, right? Like, so this continued through student activism work through high school, college, get to college. I'm raising hell on campus. You know, I'm apparently in the weekly, in the weekly departmental meetings, cause everything's a problem.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's racism here. There's sexism here. We don't like the food. Everything's a problem. <laughs> so I, I want to organize, and I got to BSU, and we go organize. And a and a professor pulled me to the side, and she had recently found found this program, um, Generation Change, and it was a it was a pilot that first year it was a piloted program, um, ran by the Center for Community Change, and Labor to find these, these next organizers, like these next community organizers, there was mm-hmm. money, There is and will always be money spent put into policy and strategy and legislation. But like, what does like a high trained organizer like look like and the mm-hmm. value of that? So she found it for me and was like, you're, I'll write one of the recommendations, like apply for this. Like you need, you need focus <laughs> like, because you're just out here with it. And I was like, okay. And I applied for it, and I got it. And I feel like this was summer of two thousand and six. This was the summer of two thousand and six, the inaugural year. And I got it, and it changed my life. It was like <laughs> organizing is a whole job, y'all. <laughs> it's a whole job, and there's, yeah. and there's institutions, and there's and there's um, like pathways, and there's like issues, and there's whole things to support. In the universe, mm-hmm. right? Whether you're interested in environmental justice, whether you're interested in, in interested in criminal justice reform, whether you're in, interested in civic engagement, whether you're interested in something I did not just name. Yeah, um, <laughs> there is a community and and a people out there that that are committed. Their whole jobs are committed to organizing and bringing voice and community, and creating safe spaces, and building power, and winning power around these key core issues. And it was just like, and that was it. That's all she wrote. It was the end of my sophomore year. I had already declared a major. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I knew, like, how I was going to finish this degree. But that summer, I, I figured out what I was going to do with the rest of my life.
0: That is, one, that's an amazing story. But what I find to be the most incredible is that you discovered your life's work at such a young age. And there are some folks that never get to a point where They can say, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. But what I'll say to those people, though, just listening to your story is it grew out of something that you were just so passionate about. And you followed that continuously because, you know, sometimes we just kind of turn it off because we're told we should turn it off or that's not meant for us, but you you didn't turn it off and it's led to kind of all of the work that you've done in the past and what you're doing now. Um, and I'd really like for you to, to talk about that now. So just the, I, well, before we talk specifically about it, I'd like for you to talk a little bit about the importance of advocacy. One for, Yourself, because I think in a lot of the work that you just described that you did, there was advocacy for yourself because you were impacted by decisions and actions of others. But then the importance of using the voice that you have to advocate for
2: others.
1: Yeah. Um okay, so back to your I just want to back up to you found your you found what you were passionate about and did it so early yes, I did but I want to just preface for everybody who's listening is that they, once you know it's still the and once you know the path doesn't mean the path becomes clear mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And I and I and I I I want to preface that because I still had to go right. There was a different internship junior year, right? Because I still had to go through the motions because I still had to grow and evolve as a person because I still had to take jobs to pay my bills in order to like get to the next step. So. um I do I just want to preface that. Like there there are winding, there are winding roads (laughs) in this thing. Mm -hmm. And there are titles and there are jobs and there are things, but I will I will articulate always that nothing is a wasted experience. So even if you got a detour six months to work at the call center, because you didn't get the job that you wanted but that don't mean the bill is going to stop coming, but you need time to figure out the next step. Some of the most valuable experiences that I had was in those detours. Some of the most meaningful relationships I've ever developed were in those detours. Um, not in the big success moments, but the growth moment was in the detour. The people that I fit, found out who was going to hold me down was was when I didn't have the fancy title, or when I was when I when something messed up, and I was broke, and I was I really just needed a hundred dollars to to float me. Who could those people be mm-hmm. that I could call that that weren't reliant on the big vision? Ooh, I saw you in the picture with on Facebook. Ooh, I saw you at mm-hmm. right. Like not those people, <laughs> right? But people that really are invested in you getting to the end, like to you living your truth and you walking your journey.
0: So I I do want to say that, right? Like winding roads. And that's (laughs) that's important. And I just want to repeat what you said. The growth
2: moments are in the detours. And you didn't let those detours discourage you. And I think
0: think that is a very salient point. The growth moments are in the detours and understanding as you've just described that there will be detours on that road, Um, but that's where you learn the lessons. That's where you grow. So take them for what they are, embrace them, understand them and know that it's a moment, but it's a, an important moment. And not let yep. that stop you. I love that. Yep. Thank you.
2: <laughs> no problem.
1: No problem. Okay. And then so the importance of advocacy. Yes. Um, I'm a Black girl growing up in America, right? Growing up in a family that didn't come from a lot of privilege that, was, that is given through money. But they always valued really Like two things, right? Right. Like you got your name, (laughs) you got your name, which means you, your word is your trust, like everything, everything associated with your name. When somebody says your name, is it negative feelings Mm -hmm. or positive feelings? You got your name and and you have your education. You have this knowledge base that we're going to put into you, that we're going to invest into you because once it's in you, no one could take it out. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would just you know there's just nothing more dangerous in this country than an educated black person, and so when you yes, ma'am, when you you instill somebody from the very beginning, like, we ain't got much, but this what you got, this what you hold on to, no matter what, um, and you walk out into the world with that that in, that in, immediately is a threat to people who wanna other you to people who want to demean you, so Defending myself or having a group of people who defended my, my right to exist exactly as I was, uh, uh, with something I had the, like, you know, God, God made sure I was, I was, I was privileged enough to be born into that. And so when you know somebody got your back, Uh right, it is, and, and. This is all translated into, uh, I think, the the language of advocacy. But I, I guess I'm pr- taking it ha- as I processed it. Mm-hmm. When you know you got somebody to have your back and call out wrong and do it for you, I don't know. It just feel it. Something com- was compelled in me. Something was spoken in me. Something was, you know, was born in me to do the same. um.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Mm-hmm. Because it might not, you might not be living the experience of being a black girl in America. You might be living the experience of being um, differently able. You might be living the experience of, you know, being a, a different faith outside of mainstream Christianity. Mm-hmm. You might be living the experience of all these other, these other others that at any moment can, can, can leave you vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And is no one going to stand with you? So I don't know why. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's a lesson to instill or like that's a that's like a thing that I can go into a training and teach. It but absolutely I
0: say, is. I don't know it if it is. It
1: absolutely is. is. I, I will say, and, I, and the reason I say that is because I have found, and I, I say you have the spirit of an organizer, right? Like I have found people innately feel that way. Mm -hmm. and then don't know how to act. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I think that's the skill, not the feeling. I can describe the feeling and you can go, oh yeah, I understand that feeling. But organizing or advocacy is the skill of how to act on
2: those feelings
1: in a way that is preventative from any more harm or any more danger or that is looking ahead to abolish said harm and danger. I
2: love that, sorry. I'm just taking some notes here. <laughs> um,
0: thank you. Uh, So there's there's a lot here. There's and I'm taking some notes and I am going to try and capture as many of these wise words as possible. Um, But I would like for you now, if you can. So you talked about doing um, being an advocate and advocacy work for um, a lot of different uh, causes. Right. Um, and now if you can, I'd like for you to talk about the work that you're doing now, the work. So you're the executive director of 1K Women Strong. Can you talk about 1K Women Strong and your work and the work that the organization
1: is doing? Absolutely. So, um, one thousand women strong is the culmination of all, all of these experiences, of all these professional experiences um, in the organizing fields uh, from nineteen to thirty three, where I was I have you know I've just I've, I've had I've had the opportunity to do a lot of things to elevate to from canvasser to organizer to strategist to you know I was I was operating quite well in this space. The C four and the and the um, civic and political engagement organizing space. I had a name, you know. I had started my own, you know, like little company <laughs> in twenty nineteen, just you know to branch out, try some other things, all the things. But March twenty twenty, the pandemic hit, everything slows down. Like between March and April, I had twelve conferences, like twelve things I was supposed to be at and then everything stopped mm. and I was still working for a path that at the time was like right our our whole plan is now blown up like we have been working on last year is gone um and so I would say it was the opportunity to be still or to move slower even though the it was chaotic it did allow me the the space and the opportunity to think And as the work was transitioning, as I saw it moving, you know, differently because of the pandemic, which meant, like, I would have to move different, all the things, and I was just contemplating how I wanted to show up in this space, Black women were constantly showing up last, like, there was this... They wanted to do this huge thing, this huge campaign. They did, a lot of people did, I would argue, a huge campaign about trust Black women.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: About <laughs> Black women, the Democratic Party is nothing. But all of me and all of the Black women I knew personally working in the space were struggling. We were struggling to be heard, we were struggling to be funded. We were struggling, like, with the microaggressions. Uh-huh. We were struggling. And I just said, okay, if I, if I could do anything right now, it wouldn't be to move away from the work, because that's what ultimately, like, burnout in this is real.
2: Uh-huh.
1: It's, we call it a young man's game for several reasons, but part of it is there is there hits a point, of just burnout, right? Of just like professional, emotional, financial burnout. Uh-huh. And you see a lot of people in the early 30s leave the space and go into very large institutions, like you know, like get swallowed by very large institutions or just completely live leave the space altogether. And how could we avoid that? Like how how could we be creating a place that we are centered on our care, that we're not asked ridiculous questions about our hair, real life, mm-hmm. progressives,
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> 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 Um. You know what I'm like just where you didn't have the code switch all, all the, the time. time. All the time. So um I was still working for this time <laughs> but I was like I started making calls because I knew where everybody was mm-hmm. this was all at home. I started making calls and I just started like talking it through because I had a plan. I had I had worked through this constituency group uh, and built this constituency group called a thousand women strong for Stacey Abrams while I was deputy field director for Stacey Abrams from 2017 to 2018. And her first historic gubernatorial race, Team Abrams, 2020, <laughs> um, 2022, 2022. can't get the, the years wrong. Um, but, you know, like it, after the campaign, you know, it gets folded up. It gets it gets put in a folder. All the data, mm-hmm. everything gets put in a folder. You just don't do anything with it. So I knew kind of, I had a model for it. But I was just like, well, what does this look like? Right. So I just started calling people. I called my now treasurer, um, and compliance officer Shelby and was like, so I want to start a thing, but is it a package? Is it a C4? Is it a C three? Like, what are the things? She walked me through it. I'll call somebody else and mm-hmm. say, How do you make a finance plan? They send me a template. I'll call somebody like. You know, if you've you ever been saying any management training, there's a whole section of how to turn a no into a yes. Yeah. But the question I have is like, what happens when you have this idea and you call these Black women that you know, some personally, some professionally, some you just got their number, right? <laughs> some you mm-hmm. just got their in your phone. And you start calling and asking for help and everybody says yes. Like the power of that, it knocked me off my feet. it scared. Yeah. It scared me. It, it, I was just going to say that is that is scary. It terrified me. It terrified me. Uh, and I left, and I put it, in, and I put it back down. And then someone called me and said, "You still doing it? You still working on it?" Oh well, you know I'm working. You know, no, nah, but you like what you need. You still working on it? And I'd be like, "All right," and then I go and pick it up and I write something else. And I do something else. I figure out a new piece, you know. And I, and I get get down mm-hmm. <laughs> the an obstacle, and I pick up a new piece. And honestly, so that was that was March to September, and September it was born. It was a paper organization. It was five twenty seven. They had a bank account. <laughs> you know, I had a sister from Brooklyn um, donate like some digital pieces for me to run this these digital ads from um, the time of the convention, the democratic convention in September to election day. And I was still working. I just want to preface it. Mm-hmm. I was still working Yeah, this whole time um, because I still had a reality of like paying bills and things. And it was mm-hmm. also still the presidential election, the biggest election ever. So while I was building this thing, I still had to do the things, right? I still yeah. had to go through the motions. Um, with the (laughs) micro-options, with the, you know, with the ridiculous strategies, all of it. So um, it was, but it was birthed. It was out. And I'm getting ready to tell the second part of this story, but I have, I I need everybody to understand that was enough for Mm -hmm. me at the time. That was the success.
0: Yeah. Success is how you define it.
1: Right. But like, I defined by me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had done it. Yep. It was real. There was a logo that I loved and a name and it was copyrighted. It was was mine. I had created a thing. Mm -hmm. And so that was enough. Like I said, you know, between September and November, we ran some digital ads. We got over 30,000 signatures from those digital ads. So in my mind, as I'm, you know, refreshing the numbers every day, I'm like, fine, I'm getting off this finish this election, get off this damn payroll, fuck these people. (laughs) (laughs) I got my own, like, I got my own clean list. I got my own logo. I'm ready. Now I'm, like, ready to go out and do the next thing, right? Yeah. And then the runoff comes to Georgia. So I just told you I was Stacey Abrams' field director for 2017-18. I had kept a lot of close relationships. I had worked in Georgia um, like since then, like on other small things. So just really good relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the runoff came home, because I, I, I still live here, I was just like, oh, snap. Like the, like the urge in my body, that urge to get up, that urge to do something was overwhelming. So the first initial instinct was, well, let me call and see who I could get a job with. Like, you know, can I go work with one of the uh, candidates that were knocked off? Is there an IE or a PAC client? Because literally six months ago, that was the position that I would have been in, right? Mm -hmm. Only. Those were the options to me. (laughs) I'm going to go work for somebody. But girl, now I got a PAC. (laughs) 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 I love it. (laughs) So I called my operations director and I was like, I think we could write a program. And she was like, I think we should write a program. So, I mean, election day is like, the 5th, November 5th, we had it written by the 11th. Like, just all the data points, everything written out by the 11th. we sending it out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: By November 21st, I'm
0: funding it on the ground. That's amazing.
1: It's insane. That is it's amazing. Insane. It's insane. And so, I mean, six weeks, we run this program through... Through <laughs> um, Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, right, we pay over a hundred people, you know, we gave people christmas, like mm-hmm. you, you like man, you just you changed people's about, lives right? on so
0: you many levels, How
1: impact and big and how I feel like, yeah, yeah, a lot of people want me to talk about me, but like i'm I'm just talking about like big picture, big picture, big picture. Like, we won.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we won.
1: We were able to take care of people. And we were able to do it authentically as ourselves. I didn't have the code switch for nobody. And we didn't have to do any of it. If there a, was a bonnet in the car, because it's four in the morning, there's a <laughs> bonnet in the car. I love that. You ain't got to explain it to me, sis. It's four in the morning and we yeah. got to get somewhere. There's a bonnet in the car.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's go.
0: Yes, that is amazing.
1: So that feeling, that overwhelming, like, oh, crap, we can do this. We could have impact. We, I can raise the money. The money can come. Like, mm-hmm. it all just, like, the realizations of it. That second part came so fast and so unexpected that, you know, like, oof! and then to come out of it with, with like, you know, like I I fundraised, so I had more funds than just to pay for the program. I looked at the folks that were with me and I, you know, and think about it, everybody at this point got to figure out what they doing next. Right. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, I got enough for a six month budget. To keep, to keep a staff of 10 on, like my senior staff, a staff of 10 on, if you're able to just help me, because I, I got us to this. Mm-hmm. I, I figured this out. The Thousand Women Strong is not about me. The Thousand Women Strong is about us and our ability to like grow the table or the tent or the room or any analogy that we want to create mm-hmm. so that we can fit as many of us in here as possible. So that this is a communal space and whether you're here for a minute or a lifetime, and that's not just as an employee or a contractor or a vendor, Mm -hmm. but that's as a member, right? If you're coming because you're moved for this one particular action or because you want to figure out multi-level strategy change, we're here. There's a place for you to come freely and as your whole self. Because the, the one, you know, like if you are a, a Baptist, a Black Baptist, you will know the phrase
0: come as you are. You are. Yeah. <sighs> that is, I think I'll use the term refreshing because a lot of us are not allowed to do that regardless. And I think for you to be able to, create a space where that can happen. And then on top of that, do work that is changing the world. I can't even say it's mind blowing because we do things like that. Um, But we have to create that for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's where that's what's scary. And I think that's what keeps a lot of us from taking that step forward, but you, you've taken that step forward, like and it's multi, scary. <laughs> multi-level. <laughs>
1: and it's scary. It's scary every time. It's scary every time. It doesn't get less scary. It doesn't feel any less scary because the responsibility gets bigger, but I will say that I know I'm doing it right because it doesn't feel heavier because I know I have people carrying it with me. Mm. Genuinely, like mm-hmm. there's an investment mm-hmm. in this not failing now. There's an investment in this being a, like, you know, my 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 um operations director is getting ready to become a grandma, and she's talking about I can't wait for my grandchild to see this, to see mm-hmm. what I'm doing.
0: So um generational yeah. change. That's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. So now what are you up to right now in this moment right now in this moment
1: okay um so the electoral year for 2021 has wind down um it was a doozy there was (laughs) we won some we lost some uh but really going into next year uh we have the thousand women strong has two priorities and it's to finish the work of our um, National Student Loan Debt Cancellation Campaign, um, Cancel Student Loan Debt, Build Black Women's Futures. Uh, thank you so much for being a, a surrogate and participating in that, that campaign. That was the just, I
0: was like, hand raised. <laughs> thank you. I am so like, that was, and even in doing that small part, it was just kind of like, yeah, This is this is like, <sighs> I don't I can't explain it how I felt participating in that um, beyond just for my own advocacy, because my student loan debt is ridiculous. Um, but just like and I, I learned like I didn't even know we held the most student loan debt, which is mind blowing. But then again, it's just kind of like not surprising because we hold a whole bunch of other
2: things. Mm mm-hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. um, that most of the folks don't. Um, but I, I learned so much. So you're doing that. If you could just explain a little about what that campaign is, um, about and then kind of what your 2022 work, um, in that space is going to be. For sure. So, uh, this year, Along with
1: the national ACLU, we launched a national campaign around uh, can- the importance of canceling student loan debt and the impact it had particularly on Black women um, as, as a demographic. And we, through extensive research, it has been found that Black women hold two-thirds of the $1.7 trillion of student loan debt. So we are the most educated uh, subpopulation in the U.S., but we are also the most in debt. Um, sometimes by three times as much as our white counterparts. Um. So realistically, when we talk about reshaping the middle class or like building this middle class out of poverty and education being the pathway of the future, Black women have by and large bought into that system and, um, Yeah, that system. And we are suffering greatly for it because then the wages uh, and the job opportunities and the housing market opportunities and everything else does not align with uh, the debt we hold. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the why, right, you know, this was the fascinating uh, rationale for me. A, a realization for me in the campaign, also as a as a student debt holder, also as someone who who personally had a story, but then was opened up to so many other women's stories, was just like, there's women like you know. I felt like maybe I was doing it wrong. Maybe something was wrong with me or maybe I was still too young. Like, okay, like Uh maybe I I do just have to make a little bit more once I get da-da-da-da-da. But really it was the cross section of Black women across every socioeconomic line, across every um, age demographic. So the largest... the largest rate of debt in age demographic is boomers and it's Mm. because it's their personal debt whatever they took out for their own personal education compounded on with their kids and possibly their grandkids Mm. so realistically this is not even a young you know a young person's fight right this is not a a 22 year old graduate's fight right and and the fact that we have justified that somebody at twenty two, twenty five 25 should be poor. Well, you should be poor. You should be, you should have to pay back a $1,000 in student loans a month because this is what you did. Like, it's just insane to me, but yeah. the fact that it's our, it's our, it's our elders, it's our seniors, it's, it's, it's the people that took care of us and it's time to take care of them and they're still burdened, burdened, burdened. They can't retire, et cetera. Wages are getting garnished. Social security is getting garnished mm-hmm. because of student loan debt. So our, our goal continues to be to urge President Biden and his administration to cancel a minimum of $50,000 of student loan debt for every eligible borrower. So, yes, this it affects greatly and impacts black women, but it's millions of other yeah. Americans that would benefit from this um this executive order and the reality is that as we've seen this year with the build back better bill congress our legislative body is not cutting it at the moment that's Mm -hmm. our 2022 job but our what we did in 2020 was elect joseph r biden and he has the right and the power with the executive office to do this work so we are urging him to do this work
2: uh-huh. and
1: ensure that we have an opportunity to genuinely raise ourselves out of poverty. Additionally, because this uh, the moratorium that currently exists right now for anybody that owes federal student loans, it ends January 31st. And so realistically, yes, I'm looking at job numbers. Yes, I'm looking at all the things. But we are still in recovery. hmm. Uh-huh from this pandemic and by ending this, what ended up being a uh, COVID related uh, like recovery aid, which was to cancel, suspend debt payments uh-huh. and suspend the interest will end while people are still trying to make sense of their new reality.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And the fact that we are, we, cause I own, <laughs> we, we as, uh, as uh student loan debt, um, borrower you know student loan debt carriers we have begun to get these letters at the beginning of the holiday season yeah and I just think it's heartless and really like inhumane that you have to juggle all the all the other variables of right now between Omicron you know winter blues the quit the 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 shortage on the shelves and everything else, uh-huh. it also process in your mind how you get ready to take back on another huge expense it's It's heartless and I, and we can do better, and I'm demanding that we do better because that's that was the work of black women uh-huh. last year, and so pay us what we owe and I, and, I, and i don't I, I say it without without any venom, but I also say it without trying to be passive in any way the future of this country is dependent on if black women are helping to shape it Mm
2: -hmm.
0: so tell us what can we do
1: okay So um, on January 26th, we are planning to go to the White House and um, have and deliver our over 50,000 signatures. We want to get up to 100,000 signatures. So please go to one kwomenstrongcom if you haven't and sign the petition. Um, If you are a Black woman, if you are not a Black woman, if you own personally have student loan debt, if you don't personally have student loan debt, but you know that this is something that needs to be done because it affects... Your neighbors, your friends, your family, um, or yourself, go sign the petition. And on January twenty-six, we are taking the the uh, signat the petitions and the signatures to the White House and confronting um, President Obama, uh, blah, 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 President Biden, uh-huh. <laughs> about what the face of student loan debt in America really looks like. And it is not, you know, some privilege. A uh, kid who went to an Ivy League school. Is moms. Is is aunts. Is first. His frontline workers. Is 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 factory workers. Is whoever. It is literally the real face of America. Mm-hmm. Um, that that this crisis is affecting, and he has to look us in the face and tell us that we're not worth it. Because then we'll know. Because mm-hmm. once we know, we know.
0: Yes, and I will link all of this information in the show notes where people can sign up. Now, before we go, please tell us where people can stay connected with you, uh, where they can connect with 1K Women Strong, social websites, all of those things.
1: For sure. So, um,
0: you can find
1: 1,000 Women Strong on all social media platforms at one K Strong, or our website one kwomenstrongcom and it will get you everywhere. Me, Shakia, um, I'm most active on Facebook, <laughs> honestly. So if you follow me or put me on Facebook, I, um, that's where you can get my biggest updates about the work I'm doing, you know, the hijinks of home and all, all of the like. Uh, I also do have a Twitter if you really want to find me, find me on Facebook. I mean, I can give you the other ones, but if you really want to find me, find me on Facebook. I am a solid millennial and I'm stuck with Facebook. I mean, if you go, if you go to the other things, it's kind of a waste for you. So just follow me on Facebook. And um, I look forward to engaging with you all. I look forward to building community with you all. And I look forward to like figuring out how you can do the work. Because mm-hmm. how I do the work is not how everybody has to show up, how everybody should be expected to show up or or even what the with the movement requires. Mm-hmm. The movement only requires
0: us each to move. Mm. I think that's so. a perfect place to end. The movement requires each of us to move. Shakia, thank you so very much This conversation has been absolutely amazing. I always learn so much when I speak to just absolutely phenomenal women. So I am grateful that you have given your time to me and the listeners of the Leading with Purpose podcast. So thank you so very much. And to all of you listening, we will catch you next time. Hi so much for spending some time with me today. It has been great sharing this space with you. I hope that you have taken what you've needed so you can share what you've learned and that you are on your way to living, learning, and leading with purpose. I encourage you to stay connected with me. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also follow us on Instagram at Leading with Purpose Podcast. And don't forget to visit my website, ww www.ygetasmall.com where you can subscribe to my mailing list till next time